Hey everyone, welcome to this episode. This is the podcast based on the fundamentals of success for the 21st century. My name is Jordan Lane Miller and I'm excited to be here with you sharing my experiences, insights, successes, and struggles. I'm also beyond excited to bring you amazing interviews with people who are already excelling in these fundamentals in their own right. That will be the primary format of this podcast. And on this week's episode, we have Mara B. Vernon. Mara is a certified leadership coach, facilitator, and consultant. She is the owner and possibility illuminator of RIP Leadership LLC, which embodies her life purpose of radiantly illuminating passionate possibilities so that clients live empowered, creating ripples in the world. Mara is active in her community and beyond through recreation and volunteerism, and she loves adventuring with her dog Milo, family, and friends. Now, as a quick side note, there were a couple times during our interview that we lost connection, uh, but stick with us because the information is just as pertinent, just as valuable, and we pick up basically right where we left off. So without any further ado, let's welcome Mara to the podcast. Hey, Mara, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Thanks. Great. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have you uh, on the podcast and on this episode. I'm just as anxious as um, our listeners are to, to learn what you have to share. Um, and they've gotten a brief introduction, but uh, you can certainly do a better job than I can. So um, if you would just take a quick uh, minute to give a rundown of, of your story, a little bit of your story and how you managed to be uh, sitting here with us uh, talking about uh, emotional intelligence and leadership. Yeah, sure. So I, I spent about 20 years in industry and in higher education as well as in corporate America doing various roles from leading teams and directing student services to finishing as director of trainer and an internal coach and um, absolutely loved all those things. The common theme for me throughout my career has been working with people and impacting people uh, really through a space of empowerment and inspiration. So that led me to launching my own company, RIP Leadership, uh, back in 2013, and just haven't looked back. Absolutely love what I do. So I do about half-time leadership development, working with teams and organizations, and half-time leadership coaching, uh, working with individuals as well as coaching teams. Awesome. That, is, that sounds so cool. Um, you know, the, the eight fundamentals that um, this podcast is – uh, based around our communication, emotional intelligence, self-management, health, finances, leadership, entrepreneurship, and goal setting. And mm. that's all kind of go somewhat together. Um, yeah. But, you know, as, as um, you know, I think we'll focus on emotional intelligence and leadership. However, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you, you were in 20 years in doing something which probably seemed fairly comfortable or familiar at least and then you had the courage or audacity or you know desire to branch off and do your own thing starting kind of your own business in the entrepreneurial world um was that was that scary for you was it seamless was it natural did you have any experience before that uh you know i had done freelance photography throughout my life i'm almost a photographer and yeah leaving the stability and the financial security of a known and good paycheck uh in the work i was doing was a big risk and 
at the time and the relationship I was in, I was the significant breadwinner. So it was a huge risk. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing that. And I, I feel in some ways when I work with other people, um, it's a good experience to have had uh, because I'm challenging other people to be courageous in what they choose and, and to take risks. And so it feels good to have done that and to be living the work uh, that I'm also getting and having the honor to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're searching for and we're in need of authenticity from uh, yeah. so many people. And so to hear that totally agree has been, is wonderful. So, um, you know, that. Hey, hi. Got, got disconnected somehow, but that's okay. Yeah, uh, that was weird. Anyhow, so we were talking about emotional intelligence and uh, um, just kind of getting into that. What what does emotional what is emotional intelligence to you? Um, you know, and how has it played uh, since you've started uh, really working with it? Yeah. So formally, I'm certified through Talent Smart in emotional intelligence. I'm a master coach and a master trainer for them as well. Uh, And we uh, define emotional intelligence in four domains, and that's self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. So functionally, when I look at the definition of that, or what does it mean to me, it's really this space of being able to notice your own emotional position first and be able to manage that effectively, which then makes you available to be aware to social emotions and what's happening there, and then the highest sort of level skill is then to be able to accomplish that relationship management. And I think one thing that's really important to me and that how I define it is that it doesn't always mean happy or people think of it that way. They think, oh, if I'm emotional intelligence, I have to be happy all the time. And that's not it at all. It's that you're able to manage to a positive outcome. And that means really for many people learning to experience a greater range of emotion with positive intention. Yeah, that's, that's a great um, concept and and definition, so to speak of emotional intelligence. You know, it's becoming more and more popular with uh, people like um, uh, Brene Brown and Lewis Howes and some of these uh, thought leaders that are really diving into it. But, you know, I'm still surprised at how, new it is and how un, um, untaught it goes in our school system. Yeah. So um, how have you seen um, EQ uh, progress since it is becoming more commonplace and you've kind of started when it, before it had. Yeah, gosh, you know, it's, as you just named, I think there's still a great opportunity for it to be, in the school system, first and foremost in K through 12, and then above and beyond that, even at the collegiate level. And I really only have been hearing through my clients that people are maybe getting it occasionally in a master's program, but typically it's in higher ed. And I think we're really missing an opportunity there with our youth to not have it as a part of the school systems at an earlier age. Um, You know, for example, I worked with a a group of eight to 11 year olds up in Portland a couple years ago uh, at a elementary school. 
And I had about 90 kids in that two and a half hour session and they were phenomenal. Like they get it. A lot of them at that age haven't grown the really strong filters yet and protective mechanisms that we tend to get in middle school. And so anyhow, I think there's a great opportunity and I, I think still I haven't seen it uh, expand. Okay, so we're back. We're back. <laughs> Technology can be our best friend and it can also be a head scratcher for us. So Yes, thanks know, for your patience. <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the things I... I one of my working thesis is that someone that has a desire and, and has a, access to technology, smartphone and an internet can really do a bunch of things, almost anything they want to do. And so one of the reasons why I'm doing the podcast is to show that with very little skill or knowledge and the, and the, you know, lots of money into something, they can get started on doing what they're doing. So this fits perfectly right into it. <clears throat> yeah, I love that. And to speak, I volunteer as a coach for the Humanitarian Coaching Network. And so I get to coach people all over the world who are doing uh, typically development work through the United Nations. So, uh, I coached a, a country leader in Tunisia who had never heard of emotional intelligence. And we coached through uh, a digital platform. Yeah, that's just, it's unbelievable to me. And it's exciting and very grateful to be so globally connected. Yeah. Um, so the opportunities and possibilities are out there. Um, you know, and EQ is, is such an important, it's number one, 1A, one 1B one with communication, because I think a lot of the, I think they go hand in hand with my fundamentals. Um, but we really have to start with EQ. And um, it's surprising to me how um, un unknown it still is, especially among the older generations. I was speaking to a friend of mine who's 31, and he said the first time he had heard about it was when I had mentioned, to him, mentioned it to him uh, about six months ago. So Yeah, wow. It's crazy. So it's wonderful to hear that, you're, that you are, and other people are going and speaking with, um, you know, younger kids, 8 to 11 or what, however young. Right. I mean, I, my kids have been introduced to it at ages four and six. Awesome. So I just, um, you know, I so appreciate people that are wanting to get the ball rolling and keep that momentum going with um, with the younger generations. Yeah. And I love that. I love what you're doing. You know, having mentioned that I think there's a lot of work to be done. I love the grassroots movement, right? That your whole focus is on educating them with that foundation, which is just priceless. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely priceless. Awesome. Um, absolutely. So, you know, as speaking with about um, EQ, um, do you feel it is a natural skill? Um, and if so, do some, do you find that some people have a more of a knack for it than others? Or maybe it's not. Uh, a yeah, it's definitely a learned skill, which I think is really cool. Uh, about it because, you know, for example, our personality is relatively fixed. Our IQ is relatively fixed. EQ is completely malleable and learnable. So where I see that people do better with it is when they have had an early introduction. So particularly like you're working with your kids who are four and six, when I get clients whose parents had that as a focus, or maybe their parent was a coach or some form of therapist or educator who was more in tune to the emotional health of the person I'm working with, that's where I see 
uh, a bump. And I think if you dive into the research, you'll find that there's not a huge shift between genders, which is a pretty common misconception. There is a slight shift that females are a little bit better on the awareness side and males are slightly better on the management side. Yet it's, it's not as, you know, we used to early in my career, I used to say, oh, I'm a guy, I'm no, you know, people, my people would tell me I'm working with, I'm a guy, I'm no good at that part. I'll leave that to the women, you know? And so I think socially for a number of years, we sort of used some of these preconceived assumptions for people to get off the hook of doing it. And it's a completely learned skill. So anyone at any age can engage in working on it and advance their ability to improve their awareness as well as their management relative to emotions. That's, that's great to hear um, because I feel like a lot of times uh, there is a cop-out or an excuse, whatever you want to call it, as far as, well, it's just not part of my DNA. And that goes uh-huh. farther than just EQ. But it, since I think, you know, you've established that uh, EQ is not um, inherent, it's not part of our DNA, um, that allows everybody to say, yep, I can be a part of it. So with that being said, what are some of the the best tips or techniques that you um, coach people with in order to just get that, uh, just get them started, get their feet wet if they've never heard of it. Yeah. So typically just reading an article or two is helpful to understand. Most models come from Daniel Goleman. So they're somewhere in that realm that I gave of focused on social awareness or sorry, uh, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And then really starting at the self-awareness part, because if you're not able to be aware to what's happening in you, it will actually limit your capability then to manage yourself, which limits your capability to be aware socially and relationally. And so the the self-awareness piece is critical and things like doing a values exercise and really diving into what's important to you. What are those core guiding principles that guide you in your life across all roles is a big place that I typically start in working with clients. Um, And then just doing even some tracking, you know, just starting to notice on a higher level, what's getting me triggered. So making a list of triggers is a great thing. As simple as sustainability is important to me, for example. So when people don't recycle, I can get emotionally triggered. And if I'm not aware to that, then it's impacting me without my ability to manage it. So values, making a list of triggers is helpful. And then thirdly, I think really asking for feedback from other people, because other people often have a really good sense of, oh, right, stay away from her when she's around that. (laughs) Or don't approach him when that's happening. Uh, other people tend to have a good sense of what we're doing. So being open and willing and, and vulnerable enough to ask for feedback, those three things are typically a great place to start. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, this is the fundamental that I struggled with the most. I didn't, I hadn't heard about it up until my late 20s, maybe even early 30s. So that's how far back in the game I'm starting you know, and it was mm-hmm. never expressed during youth sports or college sports when I played there. And so really, I feel like my personal growth and my EQ was stunted 
because of um, the messages that are not in alignment with yeah. you know, and not being um, encouraged to be self-aware. It was squash all your emotions while you're on the, the court or in practice or with your teammates or whatever. And that just has proven to be such a, a terrible uh, idea and philosophy. So um, that's great. Yeah, I agree. And I've worked with a pro athlete. I've worked with some high level athletes. And I think the great thing about the continuing research, and maybe this goes back to the earlier question you asked me to how have I seen it evolve? The brain research with the advent of fMRI studies and so forth, you know, 15, 20 years ago has gotten so good. And the ability to track the chemical changes in our body that we now really have a scientific way of understanding emotional intelligence versus when I started working with it years ago, it was like we knew it worked. We really couldn't explain scientifically why. And so to be able to tell an athlete, listen, when you're over flooding your body with chemicals that are a result of an emotional trigger, it's impeding your ability to compete well, um, you know. I think you just get a, a lot greater buy-in and understanding to make a shift in how we are working with folks and coaching, you know, whether it's leadership, it's emotional performance, it's sports, all of those things. I think we're really seeing a nice start of a shift away from a shame-based coaching model. That's really um, halting emotional connection to uh, let's leverage emotion and put it to work for us in a positive manner. Absolutely. That's great. I, I appreciate the um, scientific connection because I think if anybody were to hear, um, you know, IQ versus EQ, they would think one is more scientific and the other one is not. Mm -hmm. And that's just, as you've proven, you know, with, with brain research and with science, we've been able to prove now that actually the emotional intelligence, there is scientific backing and reasons to um, really dive into it. It's not just that little, you know, that, that la la land, the, um, you know, fluffy stuff. It's really hardcore concrete. So yeah. that, <clears throat> um, awesome. Well, and I know you're really big on leadership as well. Um, and so what, what is the connection between uh, leadership and emotional intelligence or is there one? Oh, it's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you cannot do one without the other. So whenever I work with someone, whether it's a, a group in a leadership development facilitation, a workshop, or an individual, that topic of emotional intelligence will come up in one form or another. And in particular, uh, what I always say coming from my business is it's, it's your emotional position that matters most first. You have to coach to the emotional position first. And so in any form of leadership, I can teach you all sorts of strategies and give you things to do. If you're not coming from a managed positive emotional position first, it won't matter. And so that starts with that self-awareness and self-management. And then also when you're leading others, you have to coach to their emotional position first and foremost before you do anything else. So it always comes first and it comes first from the perspective of the individual and then we move into how does this impact others around you? That's okay. That's, that's great. See, because that, I think that is being missed by uh, most everybody where they're thinking that leadership is still top down, you know, chain of command, do as I tell you. 
And we're just increasing so rapidly with evolution and technology to where these younger generations, and it doesn't even have to be younger generations, but specifically them, they're just, that's not how they were raised. So to try yeah. to lead them in that sense is really just failing miserably. And the ones that are understanding that um, EQ is what they have to, uh, or emotional position is what they have to, to start with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown earlier, for example, I'm certified in the daring way, which is based on her research. And, you know, that movement is huge around the globe, you know, and, and she's really caught on, I think, because people are really craving, you know, as humans, we're hardwired for connection. And when we don't address the emotional position, we can often be very disconnected, yet very unfulfilled because of that disconnection. And so I love that, you know, there's these thought leaders that you're speaking to, Lewis Howes, that are out there really helping people understand part of the, you know, reason we're the, you know, Brene speaks to this, that we're the most medicated, uh, sick, unhealthy, obese, mentally ill adult cohort in like the history of them ever tracking that. (laughs) And, and there's a reason for that, you know, like we're hardwired to be connected yet we're operating in ways that are very disconnected and unhealthy for us. And I think a lot of people also miss the connection between our emotional health and our physical health and think, right. If I go work out every day and I, I take care of my physical body that I don't have to deal with the emotional side. And I, I think you'll find a theme in research in the most current research that mindfulness and empathy are the two best things you can do for your physical health. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. that is huge, right? The shift to, we can't just ignore it and we can't say that it's a, a female thing or whatever else is being said. We really got to look at it head on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, what is what is leadership uh, to you? You train a lot on it. So what what exactly what what is your sense of leadership to you? Uh, leadership to me is that you're making conscious choices based on what matters most, most of the time. <laughs> and so it's this real intentional awareness that I'm going to be making choices with intention based on what matters most. And that requires courage. It requires vulnerability, which is the basis of courage. You know, it requires us risking and being emotionally exposed and dealing with uncertainty to really put ourselves out there and be authentic and be who we are at the risk of other people rejecting us. Mm-hmm. That's a and great difference. Thanks. And again, I, I started with it's first and foremost, it's leading your own life forward in that way. It's being willing to make choices based on what matters most to you. And then it's being willing to lead others in service of what's, you know, matters most to that team or that organization. And it's getting clarity on it's, it's looking at how do I fit as an individual into this larger system um, and making those connections so that people are able to really be connected humanly first and then work together in service of some greater purpose. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I to- totally agree. Totally agree. Um, you know, since you do a lot of um, research and, and uh, you have a lot of knowledge in it, can you give us just a few notable examples of um, who you believe are real leaders 
uh, in society today and, and what makes them so? Yeah, sure. So to be clear, I don't personally do research. <laughs> I, I stick to what I do well, which is uh, the leadership side and the coaching. And I just am a lover of being a part of the movement and of the community. So I read a lot and, you know, I have a lot of certifications, which is doing advanced work with others. So Brene Brown, I already mentioned, I think is absolutely phenomenal in the space of, of leadership. And she's got a new book coming out actually uh, fall, this fall, October of 2018. So I'm excited about that. Um, so I, I do a lot of uh, work with her work and for her work, because I believe wholeheartedly in uh, the basis of we've got to come from that strong emotional position that's based in worthiness. And again, that's based in values and our choices. Uh, I also love Sean Acor. He's a positive psychologist, uh, done a lot of work out of Harvard. He has his own consulting business. And he's, I think, one of the great thought leaders in that uh, positive uh, emotional space of how do we get that advantage by moving our brain from uh, negative, neutral, or stressed into positive. So those are two that immediately come to mind that I read uh, a lot on and, and follow. Gosh, there's just so many. I, I, tend, I tend to have a goal of reading anywhere from 30 to 50 books a year. Um, you know, Amy Cuddy's great on the research side. She talks about presence and, you know, being uh, emotionally present and mindful and available. Um, yeah. Was that? Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm always curious to learn myself who people are studying and who people are learning from. And because I think everybody has this outcry for leadership, leadership, leadership. Number one, we don't necessarily know what that means or we have a misguided sense. And then number two, we don't have a great example or we haven't found a great example to really teach us. So I think, um, you know, I'm not too familiar with Amy Cuddy, but I do know Brene and Sean. Yeah. And just fantastic, um, you know, um, examples of leadership in these movements that we need to uh, really push moving, going forward. Um, the happiness is a great, is a great book. Sean's, um, background story on how we kind of discovered or stumbled upon that was, is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And I think one of the other things that I would say around that, that I'm really loving is the convergence of a whole bunch of different fields, writing things, that directly impact leadership. So Linda Graham, for example, she's a licensed marriage family therapist. She's written a book called Bouncing Back that's all about emotional resilience. And if, if we kind of go back to what I was saying earlier, that fundamentally our leadership depends on our ability to manage our own emotional position first, it's great to be looking outside the sort of traditional, you know, like Patrick Lencioni, he's been around for years writing amazing leadership books. Uh, you know, back to Jim Collins, good to great. There's all these folks who were like truly and squarely in the leadership space. And now we're getting, Brene came out of social work and she works almost primarily organizationally. Um, You know, Susan Scott's a coach who's written Fierce Conversations, which is brilliant for leadership. So we've got this really community-based approach to looking at leadership and it's not all what's, I guess, traditionally, uh, come out of the corporate space. They're coming from other industries because, again, if it starts with us as an individual, then we've got to be looking in a multifaceted way. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I think that's, you know, I had never thought about that or um, heard it really, but the convergence of different fields all working towards this new concept of uh, what leadership is in the 21st century. Um, yeah. Why it's so great to list off some of these different uh, thought leaders and, and practitioners more so than that, they're just thought leaders um, so that someone can pick and choose to start, oh, well, I, you know, my focus would be on marriage or my focus would be on business or my focus would be, you know, here or there. So they can choose. They don't have to just default to the one and only. Um, yeah. You know. And, you know, like Shirzad Shamin, for example, uh, he's the author of Positive Intelligence and has a, a great program on his website that really, again, looks at our emotional position. And if, if you look at a lot of his work in Divin, he, even though it has sort of this corporate feel, I suppose you'd say a little bit, he's talking about where has this come from our childhood wounds? And so I think there's also this, this convergence around, it's the whole human being that's the leader. We're not gonna just isolate and say, okay, well now you know, you're a director at Facebook and you know, just focus on leadership. Well, for focusing on leadership, we're focusing on the whole human being. And that I still find as a coach, very often I will get people who make that request to me, you know, as, as their executive coach or their leadership coach. And they'll say, I just want to focus on leadership, nothing else. And that's the first conversation we'll have is when we coach on leadership, it's holistic. It's your whole, it's your whole life. Absolutely. Um, I agree. You know, I heard, so I think it's Tom Brokaw who said that the 21st century is the century for women. And I'm, you know, that's, that's a pretty um, broad statement. I'm not sure, you know, and, and people would have to kind of dive further into all that he meant with that. But do you see um, women rising up in leadership positions or do you think that still hasn't caught on? Um, do you think that the traits that are maybe more natural to, to women should be the ones that are most prevalent in leadership? Um, does that make sense or? Uh, yeah, to some degree. I think, again, I, I want to challenge a bit of that fallacy that, yeah, there might be some things that are more natural gender-wise and they're learnable. So I think in some ways that's how we've gotten ourselves in a little bit of trouble <laughs> around leadership, right? Is, oh, that's that role suited for a man or this one's suited for a woman or somebody who's older or younger or so forth. And so I think what I'm excited about is some of that falling away and people really being seen for who they are and taking and stripping away some of these labels that traditionally have come up and just looking at, hey, this person has the skills and ability to do this job. Never mind if they don't have the Harvard MBA, Harvard MBA or, you know, the Stanford, you know, PhD. Let's get people in roles that they can fit in and succeed in and, and move from there. And specifically around women in leadership, I do think that uh, with the focus and, you know, this year and last year with the Me Too campaigns and some of these more prevalent scenarios happening culturally in particular in our country here in the United States, that there's a greater awareness to it. And again, I think it's empowering people more so than, 
you know, necessarily creating opportunity. It's empowering people to really connect back to how I would describe a leader, which is really owning and making choices based on what matters most to you and having the courage to do that. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I like that you said, you know, it's, it's defining um, roles that people are best suited in based on skills and ability rather than uh, a label, a title, a gender. Um, because I, in the circles that I've talked and I, when I brought this up with, with people specifically men, when I say, you know, these traits that are leaders are, you know, need to start implementing, um, they get very defensive. And, and what you've said is that it's a learnable. And so yeah. just because it, you know, it might not be natural to them to start, that doesn't mean that they can't do it and that they would then be eliminated. They just have to accept the responsibility and the onus of um, increasing their skills in those areas. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can look at, you know, there's, and in my career, I could speak to this as well, that in some ways, some of my female leaders that I had in the past really uh, adopted a skill set that was outside of their own in an attempt to fit in. And that also doesn't work, right? Again, it comes back to this willingness to be authentic and own who we are and be vulnerable and find places that really fit with what we do um, because we're not, you know, we're not suited for all roles out there because again, there's not that alignment of values. So, and you know, whether it's, it's, it's one gender trying to conform to the other or whatever the, the labels are, I just really look forward to a time where we can strip most of that away and see people for who they are and how they are being and get them really living their passion. And that's the focus. My life purpose is radiantly illuminating passionate possibilities. And that's my company name, RIP. Uh And so that's what I do is really help shine a light for people on and and illuminate that space of, okay, this is me. I'm going to own me. And this is where I think I'm going to fit. And I'm going to go out and be vulnerable and and work to do it. Great. I, I agree. Authenticity is what is attractive and it's what people want to, you know, quote unquote, follow. And yeah. so helping people find, find their authenticity through vulnerability and courage is, um, is great. So I so appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks, Jordan. Awesome. Um, you know, just a, a few final questions uh, as we move forward. You know, I think the listeners have uh, anybody listening would, would be able to gain a lot of, of knowledge and um, action items to, to draw from for EQ and leadership. What, is, what, is, what do you feel like the best way to continue to spread these concepts of EQ and leadership are for someone that wants to kind of join the movement? So yeah, find a community of practice. You know, whether that's in your industry or it's outside your industry or it's just in your personal community, start having the conversations and asking, you know, who's excited about this? Who wants to talk about it? Who would be interested in learning more? Uh, You know, for example, I have a a leadership focused uh, book club that I started, but it's just a bunch of folks who are really passionate about this work. And we pick a different book and, and then engage in this meaningful conversation around what it means to us, how does it impact our different roles and so forth. So I think there's ways to just really um, just start, pick a book, 
pick a group, pick a reading group in Goodreads that reads leadership, you know, follow somebody like I'm in Goodreads. People can follow me on Goodreads if they want to see what I'm reading and you may do the same. It's find some people that you resonate with what they're saying. And then typically you can get great recommendations from there. So Brene, for example, I, I love Brene. I'm, I'm again, certified in the work that she does. And I often get a lot of my reading list from things that she's referencing. So find a thought leader and then you can branch out from there. And the more we do this in community, the more we start to raise the bar for what we want for, you know, that next generation, our kids, our nieces, our nephews, and whomever, you know, ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's tremendous advice. So I have about, three or four pages of notes um, with, you know, background knowledge, with um, action items and with things moving forward. So uh, anybody that really is seeking how to increase uh, their, their fundamentals of EQ and leadership, as well as some of the others, um, I think that all they have to do is listen to this uh, podcast and, and some of the things that you've said. So that's really, really great. Thank you so much. Um, you know, at, what's the best way, to connect with you, someone that got inspired and said, gosh, you know, I, I want to learn more um, and see more of what Mara's doing. What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, my website's easy and it's www.ripleadership.com. And there's a contact page there. Uh, I also have a Facebook company page, which is Rip Leadership. So I think, or, or LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. It's Mara Bear. <laughs> my middle name's Bear Vernon. Uh, you can find me in any of those three places and, and reach out. And I'm always happy to chat with people. And, you know, I may not be the right coach for people, uh, which is fine. I always love talking again about the industry. I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about the movement to really get this human focused and human centered leadership uh, moving forward, founded uh, as we've been talking about today in EQ. Great. Great. What are you most excited about uh, these days? Oh, just continuing, continuing to learn, you know, and I think when I was saying community, so community is my top value in life. And so I love the community learning aspect. And again, back to one of the things I said, I'm really loving the convergence of a whole bunch of different fields, some of which used to be adversarial, really coming together in alignment around some real common themes. So I love that. love the diversity uh, of how we're approaching the topic. That's, that's great. That's great. Well, one more question for you, uh, Mara, but um, before that, just wanted to quickly uh, take a minute to acknowledge uh, everything that you're doing um, that has such a significant impact on the world. And although sometimes it seems when we're doing things, it's just uh, um, maybe doesn't have that impact. Even the smallest of ripple effects really does. And um, I know that you've had an impact on my kids, which, you know, will then have an impact on others. So just the work that, that you're doing, the courage to step away after a 20 year uh, career and go out and make even more impact um, is truly remarkable and, and an example for all of us to to um, to learn from. Yeah, so th thank you. Thank you. So, uh, well, this is the podcast for the. Uh, success fundamentals of the 21st century. So as a final question, uh, what is your definition of success? Uh, it, it'd be living an aligned life. 
Yeah. Again, sort of back to my definition of leadership, living an aligned life based on what matters most to you, making those choices that really matter and are meaningful, not ones that other people think you should be. What matters most to you. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Mara. I know that we could talk for another five hours with all the knowledge (laughs) uh, that you have, and maybe we'll have to uh, certainly get you back in to, to learn about some more stuff and go deeper, but so appreciate you taking the time. And, yeah, thank um, you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be a part of the work that you're doing as well, Jordan. So thanks for your leadership and getting it out to a broader audience. Perfect. Thank you so much. And thanks for living an aligned life on what matters. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Have a great one. Thanks. Okay.